Welcome to the Bare Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from TolovehonorandVacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage. And I am joined today by my husband, Keith. Hey, everybody. For a special Start Your Engines men's edition, the last Thursday of every month, we like to focus on a podcast that's more geared towards the guys. Mm-hmm. You can listen to women if you want. Absolutely. Lots here for the women as well. And this is an important week on the blog because, drum roll please, our new edition of our Boost Your Libido course is out. Mm -hmm. So I released this course, I think, originally back in 2016. But since then, as everyone knows, we have surveyed... 20,000 women in one survey, 7,500 women in another survey, 3,000 men. We've learned so much more about libido and sexual response, and I just wanted to update the course. So we've mm-hmm. spent, um, Rebecca and I have spent the last few months doing that, and it's out, and it's awesome, and there is a special launch price on right now where you can get it for just $29, and it's 10 modules that take you step-by-step through building her libido. So... I know it's a men's podcast, but maybe some people's wives are interested or... (laughs) Well, and I think probably a lot of guys wouldn't mind their wives' libidos being a little higher, maybe. Right. And hey, if you're a woman listening to this, then that's great too. But what we wanted to do was dedicate this podcast Mm. to the whole idea of libido and ask the question, what is killing women's libido? Mm. That's what we've been focusing on all month on the blog. That's been our series. And I I just, from the outset, I want to say I totally understand that in many marriages, she has the higher libido. So I don't mean to ignore those marriages. We just want to focus on a different problem right now. And hopefully we're going to, we'll do another Start Your Engines on when it's flipped. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Yes. So I know that there are some marriages where she has the higher libido, but in 58% of marriages, he does. Mm -hmm. And I would say probably like 80 to 90% of the emails that I get from men are... Yeah. And the majority of Christian writing out there is addressing that situation very, very badly. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we would like to address it in a healthy way. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so let us ask the question, what is killing women's libido? Mm -hmm. And I want to start... Women are just bad. Yeah, like that's Women are selfish. That's often what I Women need to learn to be more like Jesus. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or, Or I think there's this idea that women did a big bait and switch. Yes. Right? Like before she was married, she was all over me. And then we got married and now she just doesn't want me at all. Yep. And it's like... She was lying before we got married. She was lying. And once once uh, I committed to her, then she's like, well, now I don't have to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that this was like a deliberate deception yep. on the part of... I've of, heard that. I've heard people say that. Yeah. I, I, I get that quite a bit. I'm not saying that can never happen. I just have never personally talked to a woman where that is what she's done. Instead, what I hear over and over again is women who are deeply disappointed in their sex yes. lives too. Yes. And who also feel like everybody's lying to them. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've talked to so many women and I was I was one of these women myself actually. Mm-hmm. Where once I got married and sex was really bad for us just because it hurt. Mm-hmm. And, well, I thought, and, and I was very selfish. I was very self-centered in my way of looking at it too. Yeah. I didn't even realize I was because I bought up all this purity culture nonsense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it, you're right. I mean, it was physically painful and, and I didn't do a good job of responding to that. Yeah. yeah. And so I just felt like I had been lied to by all these movies and all these books and everything that said how great sex was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you guys are, you're, you're lying to me. You don't, you're not actually telling the truth. And mm-hmm. so... That was a really difficult emotional time for me, too. So I've never known a woman who's just happy about not giving her husband sex because, you know, now she can manipulate him. Again, not saying it can't happen, but in the vast majority of cases, what I hear is deep disappointment Mm -hmm. and betrayal 
women who feel betrayed, not just from their husbands, but like from, from life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought yeah. I wanted more than this mm-hmm. and they're not happy with it either. Yeah. yeah. And okay. Chocolate cake. <laughs> I like chocolate you cake. You love chocolate cake. If you were to put a piece of chocolate cake in front of me. Yes. You would not have to say, Sheila, eat the chocolate cake. <laughs> that's right. You might have to say, do you really think that's good to eat for breakfast? Yeah, I, I said, or, or I could say, as I have said at 7.30 in the morning before, <laughs> <laughs> breakfast of champions? Yes, like, is that the best choice? And, you know, I, I did feed my girls chocolate cake for breakfast oh, many good. times. But the reason you don't have to convince me to eat the chocolate cake yeah. is because chocolate cake's seriously good. Yeah. Here's the thing. Sex is supposed to be seriously good, too. (laughs) Yes. And women have the capacity for multiple orgasms. Yep. We have a body part that is just for pleasure. Yep. And as much as they've been able to measure it, women are actually capable of more intense orgasms than men. I don't know how they compare. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But, but like, women are capable of great pleasure. Yeah. And so if sex is so great... Then I think the question needs to be, why doesn't she want it? Yes. Instead of, why is she deliberately withholding from me because she's such a mean person? Mm-hmm. Or, or, and I don't think that oftentimes people think that she's mean. I think that we just honestly think women don't want sex. Yes. Which is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. We tell Mm -hmm. women they don't want sex and then we wonder why women don't want sex. Right. But I mean, I guess the thing I would ask is, how did we get in the Christian church to the point where, you know, we could say, unironically, sex is a beautiful gift from God. So do it, women, even though you don't want to. Yeah. Yes, like, yes. Like we say that unironically. And it's funny because, you know, even looking at the Song of Solomon, um, Amy Bird said in her book, and you mentioned before, yeah. the woman says more... The sexual reformation, yeah. The, the woman mm-hmm. says more than the man. Mm-hmm. And the woman's the initiator a lot of it. And the woman yes. is like the one with the looks, it reads like the woman has the higher drive. Yeah. And we, we have that book in our Bible. And we don't seem to see what when our Christian women have no libido, we don't seem to see that as a weird thing. We don't yeah. seem to see it as, well, what happened? What have we done? What have we taught women that they are acting like this rather than the woman in Song of Solomon? Right, exactly. Because the ancient Israel, in their culture, it was not assumed that women would have the lower libido. Yeah. And when you talk to, to Hebrew scholars, it was actually in ancient Israel, in their marriage yeah. covenants, that they, had to, that they had to satisfy their wives. And yeah. things like that. So it was assumed, it was assumed that she yep. needed sexual fulfillment and wanted sexual fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, big thing here. Yep. So how did we get to that point? And so what we want to do in this podcast is just give some practical help to guys. Yes. We could do the podcast where we tell you how lonely it must be to not have sex and to have a wife who really doesn't want sex. And I do think that's a very lonely place to be. But I want to help you too. And I don't think just... We're not going to spend a lot of time there. Yeah. We're going to say, how do we get past this? Yeah. How do we get past this? So that's really... And so we want to share you some of the research that we think can help you get past this. Um, And so here we go. I have said this so many times before, but we're going to say it again. Are you ready? These are the five things. These are the five five things. things that we found. When these things are present, frequency is usually not a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So everyone listen, I'm going to list five things. Maybe I should make you list them and see if you can. You want to try? I know all five. Yeah. Okay, let me hear it. And we're going to go through them. So the first one yeah. is, is, is she regularly having an orgasm? Right. Is, is sex enjoyable for her? Yeah. Second one is, does she feel close during sex? Mm-hmm. Is it actually an intimate experience? Yeah. The third thing is, is your marriage stable? Are things good in the marriage? Are you working well in your relationship? Mm-hmm. 
is there porn? There should be no porn in the relationship and mm-hmm. there's no sexual dysfunction. Yep. So if you have good. those five things, for the most part, frequency sorts itself out. Mm-hmm. We're all going to have our different preferences. Some people are going to want more than others, that sort of stuff. But you don't get these crises yeah. of libido when those five things are the case. So what I've seen a lot is relationships where it's always been assumed sex is for him, not for her. And then we're surprised she doesn't want it because she doesn't have, but we don't show her a good time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's work on that one first. I mean, that's the first one we should talk about, the orgasm gap. Yes. And the fact that sex is not always that good for a lot of women. Yeah. And we've talked about this before. We won't belabor this too much. Mm -hmm. But I do think that's one of the main things to think about is if she is not frequently reaching orgasm, why would she want sex? Like, guys, Mm -hmm. imagine that every time you have sex, every time you have intercourse, you stop when you're about three quarters of the way there. Yeah. You just stop. And, and you're supposed to be good with that. And you're and, and what you're told is that's all you need because it's just <laughs> the emotional connection that yeah. you want. Yeah. And imagine that that happens night after night after night after night, yeah. week after week, month after month, year after year. Yeah. How much would you want sex? Yeah. No, you'd avoid it because it'd be, it's just disappointing, right? Yeah. And, and about half of you have wives who are not reaching orgasm yeah. consistently. Statistically. Statistically, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the other thing I've seen sometimes is people, men get a hold of this and they're, they're sort of desperate for sex. And they're still kind of like I was early in our marriage. I'm desperate for sex for me. Like I still haven't fully embraced that idea that sex is mutual. Mm-hmm. Like it's supposed to be for the two of us. I think I have... But really, it's for me. Like mm-hmm. I'm still there, and it's it's an immaturity area. And and because I, I and I'm saying that not as a condemnation to any other guys, because I was there. Mm-hmm. So they want sex, they want it for me. But I know I need to make it feel good for you. So I'm gonna make it feel good for you. So you'll do it for me. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to get past that. If you've been in a situation where your wife hasn't been having a good experience during sex because you've just maybe had bad assumptions, maybe she's incorporated a lot of bad teaching, and she herself says, "Oh no 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 no, I, I don't want any of that stuff." Mm-hmm. but now she doesn't want it ever, yeah. then say like, hey, let's try and make this a good thing for you. Mm-hmm. And actually, let's spend some time on you and making this feel good for you and, and just see what your body does and doesn't like and kind of put your own needs on hold for a little bit until she's actually enjoying it. And then you can kind of come back in and make it a mutual thing. Yeah, and this is something we mentioned in, in The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex too, because this is a dynamic that can happen is when he actually has a fairly good view of sex yeah. and he actually really does want to make her feel good. But she is saying, don't worry about me because she has whatever issues she may have. Yeah. And so she's not reaching orgasm because she doesn't seem to want to, but he's still going ahead. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, that's what she told me to do. And I really need yeah. sex. So I'm just going to go ahead. What you're doing is you're reinforcing to her that sex isn't for her. Mm-hmm. And And over time, she's going to feel very used and she's not going to like sex. So it's not okay to just keep having intercourse with her where she is not orgasming, even if she says it's okay. Yeah, it's not going to work out for you long term. No, no. Now, if there's temporary things, I don't know, newborn babies, your mother died three months ago, like, you know, the seasons of life things, that's different. Um, But on the whole, like, like, that's just not a good dynamic to 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 leave into okay so let's look at so so definitely deal with orgasm and maybe we should devote a whole podcast to that absolutely for sure but the other thing that i want guys to understand is when it comes to sex or when it comes to libido all of us have 
what Emily Nagoski in her book, Come As You Are, calls brakes and accelerators. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I love this idea. And I think in Start Your Engines podcast, guys can really get a hold of this. So think of brakes and accelerators. The reason that we want sex is because our bodies and our brains are thinking, this is the sexy, sexy time, right? So <laughs> the environmental cues are telling us, yay, this is time to have sex. So yes. we think, okay, this is my sexy, sexy time. I'm going to want sex, etc. And then your libido starts to go. Now, some of us have things that will then turn that off. That's what okay. breaks are. Well, we all have things that will turn it off. If a raccoon jumped on the bed in the middle of having sex, you would lose your libido, right? <laughs> like raccoon. So, so all of us have breaks. But some of us have breaks that are super, super sensitive. Yeah, it doesn't take very much to stop it doesn't the take. whole thing. So she could be like all day daydreaming about this wonderful time that you're going to have tonight. And he gets home or she gets home from work, whatever. And you're all affectionate. And you're thinking, yes, this is going to be mm-hmm. awesome. And you're really gearing up. And then... She just has a really hard time putting Johnny to bed. Yeah, or some little thing. Yeah, or she gets a text from her mom, and it's just gone. It's like someone threw cold water over her, Mm -hmm. you know, and the breaks have just piled on. And so people can have really sensitive breaks, which means, yes, they're able to get turned on. Yes, they're able to want sex, but it's super easy to just kill that feeling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there's the idea of accelerators, which is these are the things that make you say, yes, this is the sexy, sexy time come take me baby. So the yep. things that get you in the mood, um, the things that tell you this is what I want. So, you know, watching a chick flick, getting a massage, you know, talking to each other, putting on cute bra and underwear, whatever it might be, she might have certain accelerators. And if you can understand what your wife's brakes and accelerators are, mm-hmm. then you can help her diminish the brakes. Yep. And you can help rev the accelerators. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we talk about this a lot in the Boost Your Libido course, but this is something where it's time to study your wife and figure out what her brakes and her accelerators are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the brakes have to do with you. And I've got two quick ones to share with you from some readers who wrote in, where sometimes like you could be doing something that you don't realize you're doing <laughs> that is totally turning her off. And I didn't write this one, honey. So I just want you to know that as I'm reading this one, sure. I didn't write this one. Okay. <laughs> this is not this is not some passive aggressive. Oh, I see thing. What the title is now. Oh my god, <laughs> this it. is okay. not a passive aggressive thing of me bringing you in the podcast and then reading this one. Okay, so this woman says, "I have a great marriage, and it was super easy to get turned on for the first few years. Even just looking at his face was enough. But then he started growing out his beard. He's always had a short beard, but now it's a frizzy, longer one. I have hinted, and I." have begged and sometimes he will give in and make it slightly shorter but then in two weeks it's long and frizzy again i love him so much and i try not to let it bother me but kissing him with so many beard hairs is just not my thing right you know and she asks how can i let him know this and the answer is you just tell him yeah. <laughs> like you just got it you just got to say it oh I, I i love my beard but if it was a turnoff for you I don't love it that much. Yeah. <laughs> I know we had we had a bit of a conflict when Katie was getting married because Katie wanted you had a longer beard oh, yeah. back then and Katie wanted bigger. it long. Yeah. She she loved it. Yeah, that. But I like it much better at this yeah, length. But you know, it can be really hard to kiss someone who's yeah. got a scratchy beard. So like use beard oil, keep your beard trimmed Trimmed. because for so many women, kissing is really, really important. In fact, one of the largest scale surveys that's been done of sex outside of our own, this one had 50,000 people, both men and women. And they found that, that one of the big ingredients, um, for women who did reach orgasm was kissing 
mm-hmm. during sex. It was actually more predictive of orgasm than intercourse was. Right. <laughs> so, right. yeah, intercourse actually didn't didn't fall very high in predicting orgasm. Yeah, Oral sex we know, did. right? We know because yeah. that's not the most reliable way yeah. that women... Oral sex did. Get there. Um, kissing did. Talking did. And I believe the other one was a woman's ability to speak up and say a little to the left. Like say, you know... Give direction. Yeah, give, give direction. Yeah. So she needs to be able to kiss. And so mm-hmm. if you... It, it could be just something that simple. And often what happens is like, we don't like our husband's hygiene. You know, maybe he doesn't brush his teeth enough. Maybe he doesn't shower enough. And so he stinks, but you don't want to say, hey, you stink. That's rude. And so she never says anything. She just skirts over to the far side of the bed. Mm -hmm. If you're a woman listening to this, just tell him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there might not be a nice way to tell him, but you don't want to live with that for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I think having a sex life is better than than not having one (laughs) because you don't want to tell him that his breath stinks. Yeah. So hygiene's important, guys. Hygiene's, that's a big one. Another one that you could do something about is just how exhausted she is. And we've Mm -hmm. talked about this a lot, so I don't want to belabor it much here, but mental load is a huge issue. Yeah, there's a whole series on that on your blog. Yeah, and so here's just a little tip. If she is way more exhausted than you are, Mm -hmm. then there's probably an imbalance in your marriage. Yeah. And you need to take on some more stuff. Yeah, if you're bored and looking for sex because you got nothing to do, and your wife's too tired for sex. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a good situation. Yeah, it probably, like, yeah. Or um, if you, if you're able to, like, if someone says, hey, you want to go for coffee Saturday at four? And you're like, yeah, sure. And you don't have to think about it. Mm. Whereas she would have to figure out that's what to do with the kids. That's a bit of a red flag, eh? That's a red flag. Yeah. Because if she has to check stuff before she can make plans, but you don't, that yeah. means there's an imbalance. Yeah. And so, you know, if yeah. you if you have time to sit down and do nothing more than she does, that's an imbalance. Yeah. It all comes down to being a team, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and the team, you you know what each what each, what's on each other's plates and you know, you know what things you have, what things she has, and mm-hmm. you know, you're respectful of each other. So, like you don't just if you have a situation where you know that you can just go off and do whatever and she's going to take care of all the stuff that needs to get done that's mm-hmm. it's not fair that's not fair it shouldn't be like that yeah so that's where the marital satisfaction can come in you know yeah. to the <laughs> to the to the frequency and libido issue is like yeah if there's really an imbalance the marital satisfaction is not going to be as high yeah. frequency isn't going to be as high because she's exhausted yeah. there's other health issues we talked about sexual dysfunction mm-hmm. so um let me read you another note that i got okay. from a guy he says this I've been happily married to the most wonderful woman for a few months. We both grew up in a faith community and held a strong value for sex being made to be experienced within marriage. Since being married, we have certainly shared sexual intimacy and have slowly learned what we can do to help her enjoy our time together. But one thing that's been difficult for me is that we haven't had intercourse up to this point. We've hit a few roadblocks along the way, and I'm not sure what more I can do to create a comfortable, safe environment for my wife to want to have sex. Most times we'll get close to a point where she is willing to try to take my penis inside her. Sometimes the tip hasn't even passed her outer labia before things seize up. And we may stay in that position for 10 minutes, sometimes up to an hour as she tries to let my penis enter her. From the jump, my wife has always been told sex for the first time would be painful. And I think in many respects, this has created a mental block where she can't get past the idea of it hurting. I took it upon myself to purchase some vaginal dilators. And she has told me that she's been using them, but... It hasn't been working. And I love her so much. I've purchased books to read talking about arousal non-concordance and tried to work on ways to help boost her arousal. Um, But again, that's not working. Okay. A lot of red flags in this email that could be solved with a really simple thing, Mm -hmm. which is just 
This is not her rejecting him. Yeah. This is not her not being aroused. Mm -hmm. This is not her not being willing to have sex. Mm -hmm. This is her simply having vaginismus. Yeah. yeah. She has classic vaginismus and quite badly actually yeah, if she's if she's severe. if she's tensing up that much when he just touches her. And this, well, yes, you can work on your relationship. If she's able to reach orgasm without intercourse, I don't know that because it sounds like she is because they've mm -hmm. said that they're doing other things. I think this is just classic vaginismus. Mm -hmm. And the more that you treat it like she is somehow rejecting you or she's not willing to yeah. let you in. I don't get the impression he's thinking that she, this is on purpose on her part, is it? Well, but he does say... Um, I mean, c certainly when that happened with us, I felt rejected. Mm -hmm. And I can say that I think a lot of guys would feel that way. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that he is, but so I think it's right to say that. Mm -hmm. um, but, well, no, but, but here he says, most times we'll get close to a point where she is willing to try and take my penis inside her, but sometimes okay. the, you know, yeah. so she's willing, okay. so I, I, but I, I just think, so I think there your might point's be, right though, that don't, yeah. don't make her feel guilty that she's doing this on purpose because she mm -hmm. isn't, mm -hmm. right? It sounds like he's been really patient with her and yeah. he's trying to solve the problem, yeah. but this is not a problem you can solve. Yeah. Okay, this is a problem that needs a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, and probably reading The Great Sex Rescue because yeah. we did find that a lot of beliefs that, that you grow up with can be deeply... They're ingrained and they're associated with higher rates of activity. Yes, can be associated. Yes, exactly. So ideas like the obligation sex message, that you're obligated to give him sex when he wants it, um, that a wife must have frequent sex to keep him from watching porn. These things mm. are, are associated with higher rates of vaginismus. So I just highly recommend in this situation seeing a pelvic floor yeah. physiotherapist and do it soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and in fact, just remember this, everybody, sex shouldn't hurt. So if sex, if sex hurts at the beginning of your marriage for more than a couple of days or a week, go see someone. Like, mm -hmm. don't, don't drag well, this out. don't just see someone because there's not a, the amount of knowledge about sexual dysfunction in women is extremely variable, even among gynecologists. Yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so someone who has expertise in this particular area. So yeah. a pelvic floor physiotherapist would, yeah, is would the, be is someone the go -to like that. Yeah, is the go-to person. You know, or a gynecologist who specializes in this area. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. something that, that's a... But even then, pelvic floor physiotherapist is really the, yeah, they're gonna send the specialist there anyway. to yeah. see. So again, this could just be an issue of sexual dysfunction. And yeah. I think because we don't understand it, we often think that there is more to it. Like it, it's a it, psychological thing. Yeah. And she just needs to get over it psychologically. That's not the right attitude. Yep. You know, she clearly is trying. Mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it's not a psychological thing. It's a, it's a physical thing. So that's sexual dysfunction. Okay. We've also dealt with marital satisfaction okay. and with orgasm rate. So there's right. two more. Right. And one of them is feeling emotionally close during sex. Right. And for that one, there's a lot of different things that can that can really affect whether or not women feel close during sex. And, and some of those have nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. That's right. And this is what we found in the Great Sex Rescue is that our messaging about sex has so messed up, mm -hmm. <laughs> often both women and men actually, mm -hmm. that... Um, that is really hard to see sex in a positive light. Yeah. And that makes you feel not close. So it isn't necessarily anything you're doing. This is this is really what I want to stress here. Sometimes the reason she doesn't have a libido is not due to you, but you can be a part of solving it anyway. Mm -hmm. To explain part of this, I want to bring on someone from Instagram that we met uh, and TikTok. She's an autistic woman who has such a funny way at, of looking at purity culture messages. And she's cracked me up totally. And we asked her to come on and explain how she internalized some of these messages. So here is Alora Dodd. Well, this is going to be a fun one. 
I have an amazing woman on the podcast today. Alora Dodd is a professional comedian. You can find her on her rocking TikTok and Instagram channels at One Room Schoolhouse. And we will put, um, on, what is it? Online. Um, online One Room Schoolhouse. We will put a link to those in the podcast notes. But Alora, thank you for being here. My pleasure. I have to admit that I have listened to your TikTok about the advice given for women and men on purity culture on repeat. Like I just listen to it over and over again and kill myself laughing sometimes when I can't sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that was one of the first ones I made that was comedy themed. I originally started sharing history facts when the pandemic started and I was trying to be helpful to people stuck at home, trying to help with the education since so many people were trying to homeschool. But eventually mm -hmm. I realized that I liked pe making people laugh a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> well, when those dropped, I think I had probably 30 or 40 people sending me DMs saying, have you seen this yet? Have you seen this yet? So <laughs> yeah, I got tagged. That's actually how I found Alora. So yeah. I got tagged by a bunch of people on TikTok saying, oh my goodness, you have to see this, Rebecca. Um, so yeah. yes. So we can't share the whole thing here because the originals had music on it that you can only use in the app. So we can't put in the podcast. So Alora graciously uh, volunteer to make some <laughs> special ones for us. So everybody, before we get to our conversation with Laura, I want to introduce you to her comedy and what she has to say about purity culture. You ever see a woman coming down the street and she's got that buxom barmaid walk? Stick your head in a beehive to avoid the temptation of lust. Because if you look, you're screwed. Literally, you just committed adultery in your heart. Better to burn with anaphylaxis than the fires of hell. You say, Pastor, how can I be holy when I'm horny? You can't. God hates you because you're horny. And it's women's fault. So I'm not saying you should hate women, but like consider it. And women, if you wear leggings, it causes a seizure in the mind of a man. He physically can't think. Next thing you know, he's selling his organs online to fund his nude beach addiction. Women, God created you to be desired by men. Incidentally, the worst thing a woman can be is desired by men. So good luck with that. I don't know how I could have done that better. <laughs> I, I will say the God hates you because you're horny line. <laughs> Connor and I quote that quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, I could ask you a lame question, like what inspired you to do this? And that's really lame, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Like... <laughs> <laughs> like what's your story why did you why did you think this was so funny or how did you grow up with all of this stuff well I grew up pretty conservative Christian and I mean it's hard to talk about my life story without bringing up the fact that I'm autistic and you know I love being autistic people say oh I'm sorry I don't want anyone to feel like that's something bad about me that they have to tiptoe around I'm really proud to be autistic but part of being autistic is that we have a much more blunt communication style <laughs> <laughs> People will say, oh, autistics don't have social skills. No, we do. We just have the same social skills as their autistics. Get a bunch of autistics in a room, you'll be shocked because we're all just doing great in our own way. We know how to talk to each other. I mean, of course, there's still awkward autistics. But the point being that it is written into our DNA to be blunt and direct. And if someone says something, you kind of assume that's what they mean. So purity culture is already extremely legalistic. Mm -hmm. add to that someone whose brain works in a very black and white way and that can be incredibly traumatic um, because my entire brain works as far as black and white autistics are very prone to legalism because we're not the kind of people who understand subtlety in conversation 
So if someone says, cover up your boobs, or a man will be staring at them and think about your boobs all day, that's bad regardless. But for an autistic, you're like, oh, I need to cover up my boobs all the time, no matter what. They're, they're yeah. you know, of course, mm-hmm. I try to learn subtlety, but um, legalism is a very much a double-edged sword when you're autistic. So <laughs> finding out that I'm autistic has actually helped me deconstruct from a lot of negative uh, thought patterns and experiences. That's so interesting because so many times, you know, teachers will say things like, well, obviously we don't mean the extreme if you're taking it to its logical extreme because they're assuming people are going to be able to like mm-hmm. figure out, okay, well, if they're saying it's a nine, it's probably a five. And you're saying that's completely inaccessible to people who simply their brains are going to see it the most logical way. They're going to say, hey, you said this. So therefore this is the way that God says it. Yeah, exactly. People say everything in the Bible is exactly what God says. And then you think, okay, it's exactly what God says. Just like you said, it, um, it can lend itself to some huge levels of stress. I mean, yeah. as a child, I had so many meltdowns that I didn't know were meltdowns because I didn't know I was autistic back then. Um, and just church was a constant, constant source of terror for me. Like it's extremely, honestly, very traumatic to the point where, um, I I don't walk into church buildings without having really bad memories pop into my head. Um, like my heart starts racing. I feel ill. I feel like physically sick. It's because the level of trauma when you're trying to be perfect and you can never achieve it. I mean, it's hard enough being autistic and not knowing you're autistic because everyone tells you, you messed up. And then you say, what do I do? Well, what did, what did I do wrong? And they say, oh, you know what you did. Oh, yeah. you know what you did. You, you were just being purposely obtuse. <laughs> you were being purposely confused and upset. All your upsetness is obviously for attention. You know, you grow up as a kid doing your best to never make any mistakes because you realize that people are already going to assume that everything you do is wrong. And then you added the element of if you make mistakes, it's kind of implied that you might get raped. That's <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I already knew that if I made tiny social mistakes, which I couldn't even identify, I didn't know what I'd done wrong, that I would lose friends and everyone would hate me. I'd be publicly humiliated and I'd go home and cry for an hour because I didn't know what was wrong and I couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. And then add in the fear that if I m- make any problems, men are struggling and suffering because of me. That definitely didn't help. I think a very unique part of purity culture for me being autistic is I'm very sensitive to clothing. Oh, that's interesting. Because I'm autistic, which is great. Sometimes I can literally on multiple occasions, I've been able to tell that my dogs are sick because they smell different. Okay. It's awesome. It's great. It's not like a curse or anything. But if you're told that you need to wear Bermuda shorts in 110 degree weather, it is a curse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Modesty culture for autistics. It's already hard enough to find clothes that don't make you feel like you want to peel your skin off. Mm -hmm. Add to that the aspect of wear more clothes, clothes that aren't form fitting, clothes that, and I think, I prefer to wear clothes that are either really loose so they're not constantly hitting your skin and there's lots of air or clothes that are like spandex so they feel like a second skin. What I can't stand Mm -hmm. are clothes that are close to your skin and go up and down and up and down and up and down all day. It Mm -hmm. feels like someone's tapping me all day. It's like if you were trying to get work done 
And then a toddler just came up and started smacking you for hours at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Autistic with really sensitive senses and wearing clothes that go back and forth. And of course, in purity culture, that's all there is. I was going to say, that's like just the, that is the dress code of Brio magazine. That's so interesting. I think that this, what you were just saying about how, how it was more than just a slight inconvenience for you too, comes back to what we were talking about earlier in the modesty message stuff about the idea of who's the stumbling block to whom, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, not only like, cause men will say, well, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. And it's like, okay, but there actually are reasons why it would be hard to mm-hmm. not allow someone else to dictate your clothing choices. Even yeah. if we took it outside of all of the ethical issues, there is just the genuine, uh, the, it's again, it's, 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 it's an understanding of how, you know, when we feel like we're entitled to tell someone else what to do, we don't consider how it affects them. Yeah. I did a whole bunch of ballet growing up. It really helped me feel comfortable in my skin. I actually have something like 16 or 17 years of classical ballet training. It's amazing. (laughs) And I was constantly, constantly, constantly told not to wear my ballet clothes, like in public, like you, you can't even just like walk out of the studio because it looks immodest, you know, wearing a leotard and tights and boots and whatever. I think it really reinforced the message to me that anytime I felt comfortable in my own body, I was being immodest because when I actually felt good, I mean, I'll, I'll burn tights any day. Tights, I was like, that, that was a sensory issue. Looking back, I'm like, I pulled up my tights probably seven times as much as any of the other girls in class. And now I know why, because I felt them on my skin when they didn't notice. Uh, but, you know, I would, I would wear things that felt good mm-hmm. stuff that was like a second skin in my body and I could actually move and feel free. And then I would be told, you know, that's immodest. You don't want to wear that out of the building. You have to stay in the building unless you're on stage in a tutu, you cannot show that much skin. Mm-hmm. So it was the idea that if I'm being modest, there was this subconscious message. You're going to be absolutely miserable. You're probably going to overheat you're going to have trouble even hearing what people are saying because you're so focused on how miserable you feel. And I thought everyone felt that way. I thought it was the same for everyone. I thought we were all just, this is what you do if you love Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Have you found that because of like just how traumatic kind of, even just these, these quote unquote, like the littler things are when, especially growing up autistic in the purity culture church, have you found that kind of comedy is, like has been a nice like outlet for you to kind of work through a lot of that stuff? I mean, uh, autistics have special interests, something that really, really um, suits our soul. Um, Something that we love to learn about or participate in. And not just autistics, ADHDers have that too. But a lot of times we'd get told like, oh, you're obsessing over something. That's a pretty common thing. You'll see someone thing a lot and they'll say oh you're obsessing over if it's not if it's not hurting anyone it doesn't matter so for me performing arts has always been my biggest special interest and so my entire life whether it was ballet or theater or whatever I loved to be able to express myself through performance Mm -hmm. and when I dropped out of college that's an entire story of its own it was a conservative Christian school Mm -hmm. I got really good scholarships and I, I knew that I I didn't have to take out loans I thought it was a dream come true. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. It destroyed my soul. <laughs> yeah. Almost pretty much ended my relationship with Jesus as a whole. Um, it was really bad. That's a whole other thing. The point is, it's just always something that's always been like a part of me. And mm-hmm. so it just makes sense that 
I would continue performing even when I didn't have a formal method to do it. So yeah, it is an outlet for me emotionally to talk about things I've been through, but it's also just something I love. It's going to be an outlet no matter what. It's an outlet for everything. Yeah. It's not like I decided to do comedy to release my trauma or whatever. I just <laughs> I have to perform or I'll die. Right. <laughs> but it's an outlet for everything. Yeah. And you're really good at it. So seriously, anyone who's listening, follow Elora at yeah. Online One Room Schoolhouse on TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. You did the men's one first, right? And then you did the women's after. Yeah. And have you had like male autistics tell you that they really appreciate that or that they related to that? My following base is 90% women. So while I, I, I would not be surprised if I've had male autistics say that, I'm sure I have at some point. A lot of my conversations are with female autistics or um, a lot of non-binary autistics, a lot of trans autistics. Mm-hmm. LGBTQ community and the autistic community actually overlap a lot. There's a lot of gay and trans autistics, which interact with dirty culture as well. There's a lot of unique trauma when you hear someone say, hey, I grew up trans and they made me hate my body even more. <laughs> yeah. That's a different thing, but there's a, this, we get in some deep conversations in the comments. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I think it's just so interesting to hear how the same kinds of experiences growing up, they, they have so many different effects mm-hmm. that you wouldn't even expect. And that's why we have to keep on listening. What I hope that we can start doing like as a larger Christian culture as a whole is just understand that, you know, even if you've heard one person's story about how mm-hmm. stuff screwed them up, you have not heard all the stories. Like we mm-hmm. actually have to make sure that we're listening to more than just, you know, one person who comes to you or even, even like, uh, with our survey, we always said our survey of 20,000 women, we want it to be a starting point, not the end point. Yeah. And so I guess for anyone who's listening, all the, the podcast listeners, please do check out Alora on TikTok mm-hmm. and Instagram. She's hilarious. She doesn't only do purity culture stuff either. She's got lots of stuff. Um, <laughs> and it's really fun to be able to follow someone who, you know, you know, a bit of their story too. So thank you so much for sharing with us. And thank mm-hmm. you for coming on today. It's my pleasure. And I think it's important to remember that Autistics are just one example of people who see things differently than other people and anything gets said in purity culture um, that is damaging. It can be taken a million different ways by a million different people. And that's part of the reason it is so important Mm -hmm. when talking about God's word to be gentle and kind. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) So be clear one more time. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Online One Room Schoolhouse or at One Schoolhouse, because some of them need shorter. I'm on other social media too, uh, YouTube, a lot of places, but my main ones are TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. And we, again, we will have the link in the podcast notes. So thank you, Alora. Thanks for joining us. God hates you because you're horny. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite one of hers is the one that starts with, uh, you have hormones. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I know. They're so good. So we will put links to the one that she created, especially for us that we played here, but then her two original ones, which we couldn't play on the podcast for copyright reasons, but really funny. Love those a lot. Um, Okay. So let's deal with this idea of how, what happens if you don't feel emotionally close during sex. And there's, there's a number of reasons and we'll, we'll bring in the, the fifth reason porn use because yeah. that can impact well, that's a it whole too. podcast in itself too, right, right? So. i want to read a letter that came in 
from a guy who read The Great Sex Rescue, and he says this, I just finished Great Sex Rescue, and I appreciate you and your fellow authors calling us men out on our crap. <laughs> Good. Yes. He's a real man. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> it is most convicting seeing myself in Jared, the man who hoped getting married would solve his porn yes. addiction. I knew it would not, as I had a similar story. I told my wife about it many years ago. I have been off of porn for several months now, and thank you for explaining how deep it can go. My wife and I have never had anyone to talk to about our sexual issues, and because of my shame, I did not talk to her much about it. We spoke about the lessons from your book. Thank you for helping me see through her eyes, and thank you for mm. making me a better husband. That's good. I don't do this very often, but I'd actually like to read an excerpt from The Great Sex Rescue, and I would like to read Jared's story that he's talking about, because mm -hmm. I think it kind of says everything that we need to say about how porn use can wreck a woman's libido. So here we go. This is from chapter six. Your spouse is not your methadone. Because, of course, every man's battle did call women the methadone for their husband's sex addictions, which, hey, maybe that's what's killing women's libidos. But here we go. Okay. Let's follow the marriage of Jared and Melissa, a composite of so many couples we've heard from. As is the case for many millennials, the prevalence of internet porn when Jared was growing up meant that by the time he got married, he had already been using porn for 12 years. When he's getting married, Jared believes, finally, I'll be able to get over this because surely sex is going to make it so much easier to quit. And during the honeymoon stage, his struggle indeed subsides. But all too soon, what was new and exciting starts to become routine. They stop having sex as frequently. She gets pregnant. He starts taking on more responsibilities at work. They spend less time together. He finds himself alone late at night while his wife sleeps. In his boredom and the stress of everyday life, he reverts back to what has been his habit for most of his life. He immediately feels ashamed, but that quickly turns to defensive anger. Jared finds that on days when he has sex, he doesn't feel the need to look at porn as much, and soon the days when they don't have sex begin to feel like Melissa is personally attacking him. She has the key to his struggle and refuses to give it to him. She doesn't even need to have sex. A simple hand job will do, but Melissa doesn't seem to care. At the same time, Jared's men's group starts going through every man's battle. He hears that wives need to have sex with their husbands so their husbands don't succumb to temptation. Jared feels seen and understood. See, he says to Melissa, we need to have more sex because I want to be faithful to you. You can't possibly understand my struggle because you're a woman. Why can't you just do this for me? Melissa feels like she's been punched in the gut. She's pregnant, working full time, keeping house, and she's still not enough for him. Now, every time they have sex, all she can picture is her husband watching porn. Sex is fast, quick, and to the point. Even when he wants to try something for her, she can't stomach it because she wonders if he learned it from porn. Eventually, Melissa's had enough. She hates sex and she is in despair. Her dream of a loving, faithful marriage has been destroyed. She realizes the only people who will ever really love her are her kids, and she now turns to them with her attention. Hurt and fed up, she tells Jared, just take care of yourself then, since she feels he's simply been masturbating into her for the last decade anyway. Jared doesn't want that, so he brings it up to his pastor that his wife told him to masturbate instead of having sex. The pastor berates her. Don't you know that sex is a gift from God in your marriage? Melissa hears the words, but they don't penetrate. She has been reduced to a physical receptacle for Jared to orgasm into in order to keep him from temptation. If that's what sex is, she's not having any of it. Jared has systematically destroyed his wife's libido by allowing his porn addiction to infiltrate his marriage, all in the attempt to keep it out of it. 
We doubt that Jared and Melissa's experience is what those writing the books and articles intended, but this is what we have heard over and over again from both men and women. This is what we saw in our surveys. This is the result of telling women without sex he'll watch porn and telling men you need her to be your methadone. We in the church need to start combating porn very, very differently. The idea that we ever said women can be like methadone to help you with your sexual temptation how do we get that far off track and not realize we were off track? Yeah, and it's like, okay, like like we said in the in the story, you know, Jared finds that on the nights that they have sex, he doesn't feel as tempted to watch porn. Now, that doesn't happen to everyone, actually. A lot of guys watch porn, or, or sorry, have sex with their wives, and then they still go into the bathroom and yeah, watch yeah, porn. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there is that, there is your climax. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, and then that does bring down sexual tension, and so the idea is, well, then he he doesn't watch porn as much. But the problem is what happens is he's not actually feeling intimate with her. Mm -hmm. All that he has done is satiated this for a time and it's going to rear its ugly head again. It's not like, like he's actually appreciated the sex for sex's sake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just that this has kept him from watching porn for this minute and it's going to keep rising up and that's when that's why when when pastors say see look he used less porn when she had sex you're missing the whole point because he's not really actually having sex he's still using her just in the same way that he's using porn there's no difference except that one's on a screen and one's with a body but you're still using her yeah when a guy watches porn and then he thinks that marriage is going to cure it Mm -hmm. she feels like a receptacle Mm -hmm. And it wrecks sex for her because it's not intimate. Mm-hmm. It's just him using her. You know, and I think it was close to 20% of women said that their primary feeling after sex is feeling used. And so, you know, if that's your story, you need to own it and realize this is not a problem with her libido. This is a problem with how you taught her to see sex. Mm-hmm. And you've actually stolen something from her. It's not that she's stolen something from you. It's that you have stolen something from her because she deserved this beautiful sex life where she was being cherished and it was passionate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And instead, you turned it into a using her for your own gratification Mm -hmm. and made it something ugly. And you didn't mean to do that. I mean, you got trapped into porn. I mean, the, the pornographic way of looking at sex is extremely tempting because it puts you at the center. And so, you know, you you get to feel like a man. Mm-hmm. Women, in porn, the women want you no matter what you do. You know, like, it's all about you and what you want. You feeling good makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the kind of thing that porn teaches, right? As opposed to the idea of sex being something that is actually mutual. Mm-hmm. So, when we have been inundated with pornography in the church, and we have a massive epidemic of of porn use in the church it is so saddening so disheartening to me that rather than fighting the mindset of porn the innate selfishness that goes along with it the innate dehumanizing that goes on with it we instead shame women into having sex more so men won't be tempted to turn to porn yep which is exactly the problem of porn (laughs) using people as objects for your own your own pleasure yep it's terrible. It's terrible. And that is what our Christian teaching has been. Yeah. And so it's not your fault. I mean, this guy went to his pastor and the pastor was on his side. The men's group was on his side. Everyone's on his side because that's the garbage we've been taught as men. When we were first married, 
and I shared earlier in the podcast, I was a very selfish person. Not not because I'm an innately bad person, no, you're but not. I was taught badly. I was taught sex is for men. When you get married, it's going to be amazing, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be easy, and you deserve that because you waited, mm-hmm. and God's going to make it great. And then it didn't happen, and I was angry. Yeah, you know. And so I turned that on you instead of saying, "Hey, what's going on with my attitude?" So there was a comment you had from a woman who was dealing with a husband who had this kind of mindset about sex, and she said, "My husband believes that God commands us to use each other's bodies for our sexual fulfillment." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was the exact quote from this husband. That was his mentality. The, the godly way is for us to use each other's bodies for our sexual fulfillment. Yeah. What a horrible, horrible way of looking at sex. Yeah. It's I not mean, about passion. That is and not about at all. intimacy. That yeah. is not about, you know, that is not a knowing. That is a taking. Yeah. Um, and, and sex is about knowing. It's the first time that God talks about sex in the Bible is Adam knew his wife. It's not a euphemism. Sex is about knowing. Mm-hmm. It's a deep emotional and spiritual thing. It's not just a physical thing. And pornography is just all about the physical, all about the pleasure, all about the high. Mm-hmm. It's not about relating to an actual woman. Because you know what? Relating to an actual woman is hard. It's yeah. difficult. It takes yeah. work. You may not be good at it. You have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You have to open yourself up. All those things, it's so much easier to turn to porn because porn will be there for me. and it'll, Whatever I want, it'll be there. Yeah. It's so tempting because of that. But we need to get past that. We need to rise up and be real men and say, this is not what I want. I want a true, intimate relationship with a real, live woman. Exactly. And I know we're belaboring this, but this affects 50% of married mm-hmm. evangelical men have a current relationship with porn in some yep. way. And we need to get over that. So we're going to put yeah. some links in the podcast notes of some great books that you can read to help you. This and I want to say, this is not just a man problem. We're talking about the men because it's a men's podcast. This is a problem for women too. Yes. So I just want to acknowledge that as well. Exactly. Yeah. So anytime you have a pornified style of relating so that you're not, you're not experiencing real intimacy, but you're instead just using sex for your own gratification. That's a huge red flag. So we will put some um, resources like Surfing for God, Michael John Cusick, When Shame Gets Real, Carl Thomas, Andrew Bauman's books on getting over porn, uh, Jay Stringer's Unwanted. Um, There's some really good books that we, that we can suggest for you. And I'll put the podcast notes for that. But this vulnerability thing, this is what actually boosts a woman's libido, is when you're able to really connect and be emotionally vulnerable. And when that doesn't happen, when you're not feeling emotionally close during sex, then all kinds of things can spiral. And the problem is a lot of times what kills a woman's libido isn't just one thing. Mm. It's like... Death of a thousand paper cuts. Exactly. (laughs) And so I want to read you another story that's quite typical of this. A woman writes, my husband and I have been married um, for about a decade. The first few months were amazing. And then we had several huge life events happen all at once. Moving, job changes, a miscarriage, the loss of a close loved one, pregnancy again, etc. It was a lot and we were incredibly unprepared for all of it. As a result of these changes and the associated stress, my husband completely emotionally shut down to me and that lasted for seven years. Sure, we had good times during those years and several children, but my husband was extremely emotionally neglectful. My reaction to this neglect was to shut down sexually. I never intended to deny him sex out of malice, but I was never in the mood because I didn't feel loved. I read several Christian books in search of advice, and I heard the serve your spouse and fulfill his needs message, and the duty sex began, and it lasted for a long time, and the resentment built up to a point where I would want to vomit during sex because of the anxiety and anger I was feeling. 
I tried talking to my husband about these issues and how I was feeling and I was given the cold shoulder. The cycle was awful. She then talks about how they rebuilt their marriage. He became emotionally open. But now the problem is that sex is triggering for her. Mm. Because even though they're over a lot of these emotional humps, there were so many bad associations with sex that she doesn't know how to get over that. So this is the message to the people who are in that deficit situation, right? Yeah. You know, like, so sometimes your wife's libido, you may be saying all those things you've talked about, we've dealt with those things. Mm-hmm. So those aren't, the, those aren't a problem anymore because we've dealt with all that. Yeah. But, you know, you may not realize you may have a bit, of a bit of a deficit. You're not starting at zero. You need to work yourself out of a bit of debt here. And you need to not just realize that you need to do things better going forward, but you need to realize that it's going to take some while to heal from what's been done badly in the past sometime. I have another letter that I want to read in conjunction with this because it's something similar. Mm -hmm. My husband and I had a conversation recently about our sex life that led to a huge realization that choice and agency had been taken away from me on my wedding night and in many other teachings and experiences from growing up in the Bible Belt. And that set an unhealthy precedence for our sexual relationship. To hear my husband point that out to me was so healing and encouraging. And we talked about me wanting a break from sex so I can reconnect with and find safety in my body and enjoy each other in other physical affection that doesn't have to lead to sex every time. My husband is being so kind and cheering me on as we embark on this new journey to find healing for us both and a new way to relate to sex and intimacy. And I, I really love that. Oh, can I, I, the thing I was saying that's amazing about that is it sounds like from this letter that this guy realized what was going on in his wife's mind that mm-hmm. was making sex bad for her. Mm-hmm. Like he picked up on the fact that she had negative messages that she'd internalized. Yeah. And rather than feeling defensive and saying, well, it was not my fault. I didn't do that. He yeah. actually helped her to realize that that was a faulty way of thinking of things and to think of sex in a more positive way. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Yeah, because what she says is that she feels like her agency and autonomy was taken away from mm-hmm. her on her wedding night. Because now, she and if you'd said no. that to me, mm-hmm. my first response would be to be defensive. I didn't take your agency away. Like, yeah. you know, but this guy was way better than that. This guy was like, okay, it's not a personal thing. It's about my wife. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, your agency was taken away from you. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. And he's immediately there for her, which I think that's fantastic. And sometimes it's like, it's not even the guy that takes away the agency. Yeah, no, it's... For so many women, it's this idea that I can't say no now. Yeah. Like, I need to give this to him now. Yeah. And so it's not about me anymore. Yeah. And so I don't have control over my body. And that's a very scary place to be. And that's why vaginismus rates skyrocket yeah. when yeah. you believe the obligation sex message. Because our bodies do interpret lack of agency as mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of us are in these relationships relationships where she feels like she can't say no yeah and you may not have said that to her mm-hmm. you may not you that may be the last thing in your mind but she's been taught that in church or in christian books and mm-hmm. you know things like that so yeah and so she feels like god is saying it to her yeah she feels like god is taking away her agency mm-hmm. and autonomy and that's really scary and so you know if that's you and and the, the other woman who was writing about how you know, this was our life where I was just doing duty sex and I was so anxious and I wanted to vomit Mm -hmm. in the middle of sex, you know, because again, wanting to vomit is a very normal reaction when someone is using your body for their own pleasure Mm -hmm. and not considering you at all, Mm -hmm. which is how that dynamic had evolved. And she was letting him, she might even have been initiating because she felt like she had to, because this was her duty, but that still is not a healthy dynamic. Mm -hmm. And guys, Please hear me on this. Your wife's libido will never, ever rebound until she feels like she can say no. Yeah. 
Until she feels like she can say no, she is never going to want to say yes. Mm-hmm. And that's why the idea of taking a break can help so much. Often when guys um, are getting out of a sex addiction, they mm-hmm. recommend at least a 90-day break. Um, if it's not a sex addiction, but if it's something where we just need to rebuild the idea that sex is for her too, you know, taking intercourse or even your own climax off the table for 30 days. Mm-hmm. First of all, so she can see you aren't going to die. <laughs> yes. And you can see you aren't going to die. <laughs> yes. And she can see he still is going to treat me like a nice person. Yeah. Like he's still going to be nice to me. He's still going to be kind to me. He's still mm-hmm. going to be good with the kids yeah. if he doesn't get sex. Yeah. So that not just you tell her that she's not obligated, mm-hmm. but you show her that she's not obligated. Because if you say, I don't expect you to have sex with me, but then when she doesn't, mm-hmm. you get grumpy and snarky and don't deal with your garbage (laughs) (laughs) then then she's gonna feel obligated and you don't want that you don't want duty sex you don't want you know a woman who feels like she's gonna vomit but she has to yeah like what husband wants that and honestly if she feels like she has to give you sex or else you're gonna treat her badly that is a form of coercion Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so she needs to know she's totally free that 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 this is something that you're doing as a celebration of who you are it's Mm -hmm. not an obligation so take that 30 days and just show her affection you know touch each other hold hands with no no agenda yeah Because kissing needs to come back into your marriage. Yeah. You know, I, I like to say that, that often kissing stops because women don't want to put a down payment on something they may not want to buy later. Yeah. And that's how it's often interpreted. If I start kissing him, he expects it to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, if I start kissing him, he immediately grabs my butt or he immediately yeah. grabs my boob or whatever. And it's like, I just wanted to kiss because me kissing you is a way of me trying to figure out, do I want something tonight? Yeah. And so if she stops kissing, she never gets a way to figure out if she wants something tonight. Mm -hmm. Because often kissing for a lot of women is an accelerator. But if you touch her butt when she's just trying to figure it out, you've now hit the brakes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so so spend that 30 days just letting her kiss again, um, figuring out what her body likes. You know, that can be a good healing thing. Yeah, there's just so many stories in The Great Sex Rescue and that you've seen, you know, emails that... When husbands finally not just said to their wives, you're, you are not obligated. Mm-hmm. I am not going to turn to porn if you don't have sex with me. I am not going to, you know, mentally be unfaithful to you or physically be unfaithful to you if you don't have sex with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when husbands have not just said that, but shown with their actions that this is something that I want really for both of us, not just for me, mm-hmm. women's libidos skyrocket. They just yeah. take off. Yeah. You know, because now they finally get a chance to actually experience this. Yeah. You know? Okay. So we've dealt with porn. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, not feeling emotionally close during sex. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not having uh, high marital satisfaction. Not having orgasms. Sexual and sexual dysfunctions. We've dealt with the five things. There's one more that I do want to touch on, and it's an important one, which is what if you are actually the toxic one? Okay, and I just want to bring this up because it is something that's a factor in many marriages and often people don't realize it. So here's here's a letter from a woman who says, how do I get some intimacy from my husband instead of just sex? We have sex every day, but it's still not satisfying him and he won't touch me unless it's for sex. If I say no, he pouts and won't talk. Mm -hmm. Then I definitely don't want to. And it's an ongoing problem. Yeah. Okay. Um. (laughs) I'm amazed at how many people think it's normal to have sex every day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. What we find is like marital satisfaction increases the more you have sex, but it does decrease. <laughs> There's a point <laughs> where it actually falls. Yeah. And it's this point. Yeah. 
You know, when you're having sex every day, no, this is not connection. This is not connection. This is not intimacy. No, this is using her. And if you pout and give her the silent treatment, if she doesn't have sex, that is coercion. Mm-hmm. And so if you hear yourself in that letter, please understand you are the problem. Mm-hmm. You are likely abusing her. Mm-hmm. You sounds like this is in a case of sexual abuse here, along with probably other forms of abuse. And you need to get some serious help. Because she doesn't even recognize that this is a problem. And I doubt he does either. And so I know that he might be saying, my wife doesn't give me sex enough because he's pouting. So he might be someone who's listening to this podcast saying, yeah, how do I boost my wife's libido? Because she's not giving me sex enough. And he's not realizing he's actually the toxic one. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that doesn't apply to very many people. (laughs) But I do get a lot of emails about that. And so I I just want to put that out there. Andrew Bowman has a great book, How Not to Be an Ass. (laughs) I'll put a link to that too, because that may apply to you. You It's not actually called How Not to Be an Ass, because it's like How Not to Be an Asterisk SS. But uh, it's a good one for people like that. (laughs) So that's what's killing women's libido. Mm -hmm. Pretty thorough treatment of the subject. I hope so. And I hope that you can figure out what her accelerators are mm-hmm. and you can't get rid of some of the breaks because sex is something which was meant to be passionate and beautiful yeah and it took us a while to get there oh yeah absolutely it takes a lot of couples a while to get there but the good thing but is it's, it's worth the work yeah it's worth the time and it's worth the investment and yeah. marriage is a decades-long thing so yeah. if you didn't get it right in the first decade hopefully there's still time <laughs> <laughs> and just shameless plug there's lots of really good information the great sex rescue and the good guys guide to great sex and the good girls guide to great sex but libido issues and how to do those things as well too as well as your libido course our new boost your libido course yes coming out on monday yes came out on monday came out on monday came out on monday and it is right now on the for the launch price just this week of 29 dollars. so go check that out we will have a link in the podcast notes and this is the last podcast of the Mm -hmm. season um we're gonna take july off but we will be rerunning some of our favorite podcasts from the past. And then in August, we will be back with some all new ones. So we will see you then. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.